Welcome to the Wildly Optimized Wellness Podcast. I am your host, Terea Rodriguez, and I'm joined by the lovely co-host, Evie Tackett. Both of us are functional diagnostic nutrition practitioners, and we love working with women from all over the world through our virtual programs, helping women not only feel better, but actually achieve that vibrant, no-holds-barred version of themselves they've been missing for a long time. And how we actually get there? Well, that is what this show is all about. Now, please keep in mind that this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. And if you like what you hear today, we would love for you to hit that follow button, leave a review in Apple Podcast, share with your friends, and keep coming back for more. Let's start today's adventure, shall we? Welcome back, everybody. And um, we're just going to kick today's episode off with, hey, Evie, what'd you do outside this morning? Yeah. So outside this morning, I actually sat and journaled. I haven't journaled in a while and I was really craving it. And it was also pretty warm outside for, you know, early February in the Midwest. And so I was like, you know what? I can sit outside comfortably with my coat and my boots. And I sat on the porch and I just journaled for five, 10 minutes and it felt really good. And I got the sunrise. I got that light in my eyes. So that's what I did this morning. And I was really happy about that. Oh, that's super good. So I took my dog for a walk and we decided to take a completely different route this morning, which was great to kind of break it up a little bit. And I think we were, we had just got the period of time where the sun was just cresting the horizon. And so it was nice to just be out and feel the sun on the face. And I think we too, when we're recording, it's February. And out here in California, as you can see with the sleeveless top, we're having an unseasonable heat wave. Hello, climate change. But yeah, so I think, you know, just being outside and taking a different route and changing things up makes it it makes it more interesting for me because I know that if I get into a rut, it's going to and do the same thing over and over. Then I get bored and then I lose that really good habit. So sometimes I have to change it up and change the route. So we got to see a nice sunrise. So, yeah. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I love it. Cool. So, you know, today we really wanted to talk about a concept that comes up a lot actually in the healing process, which is taking a look at the way you think about yourself and how it can be holding you back. And so for the people who are into mindset work and talking about beliefs and that kind of thing, it really has more to do with this identity that we've created with ourselves that we're familiar with. When we start to say things like, oh, I'm a person who does X, Y, or Z. I'm a person who gets up and walks in the morning, or I'm a person who, oh gosh, I just can't do that, right? Those are the kinds of words that we use and language to pay attention to around identity. And, you know, in order to have a transformation, you have to become somebody new. But in order to become somebody new, you kind of have to let go of that old self, let go of the old identity. So if you're somebody who told yourself over and over and over, I can't do X, Y, or Z. So for example, I see this a lot in my practice because I work with women who have autoimmune disease and they say, oh, I can't go to this restaurant because I'm following AIP and I can't have nightshades. 
Is that a biological restriction that's really happening or has that become part of your identity in who you have become? So I see that can really set people back. Evie, I'm guessing you've seen this same phenomena with your clients throughout the years. What do you think? Yeah, people come in and they say, oh, I'm always heavier or I can never lose weight or this is just who I am or I give into temptations or I let loose on weekends or whatever it is. And it's like they've created this identity or this false identity with themselves of like, this is who I am. There's no changing me, even though they know that they don't like that and they want to change and they're seeking change. They kind of revert back to this is how I've always been, or this is just who I am. And that's not always true. Now, yes, there are certain things that we can't change about ourselves, but most of the time these behaviors, these mindsets can absolutely be changed. And I find that with myself too. I used to be someone who said, this is just the way I am, or my body will just always carry extra weight in this area, or I'm always going to be someone who can never go to bed on time, or I'm always someone who stays up late. And then I started asking myself, like, is that really true? Am I really this person? Or is it something that I've told myself because I've just been doing for so many years that it's just become second nature for me to be this person who carries extra weight in this part of my body or who stays up late or who whatever it is. So I'm like, no, I think it's more of I've just had so much momentum built in that direction that has made me feel like this is who I am. And maybe I can just change that momentum and change that direction and not be this person because I don't like being this person. I don't like this being part of my identity. So we've talked about this in previous episodes of having that radical honesty with yourself and auditing yourself of like, what role do I have in this? And is this really set in stone? And what are the things that I can be doing to change? And really starting with asking yourself that question of like, is it really true that this is just who I am? Absolutely. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about there's a couple different phases in the healing process. You know, for a lot of us who get into health or start to have a keen interest in it, it's because we've had our own health crisis, right? We had a period of time where we were really chronically ill and really sick. And it's during that phase where we have this, it's almost like a grief period, right? We're letting go of an old identity of a healthy person and having to grieve that being gone. And we're building this new identity around, I'm the person who can't do things in the same way that I used to. I can't expend my energy in the same way that I used to, because then I'll be fatigued and I'll have to be on the couch for a couple of days to recover, you know, those kinds of things. So there's that phase of letting go of that old identity and becoming the sick person. And I see it a lot with people that I talk to especially people who have gotten a diagnosis. So then they've gotten this label. So I've even caught myself doing it of, oh, I'm somebody who has autoimmune disease. I have Hashis, right? It's like, do I have Hashis? Am I Hashimoto? Or am I a person who also has had in the past elevated thyroid antibodies? There's a difference there in the way that we're talking about that kind of identity, especially when we get a disease diagnosis like rheumatoid arthritis or MS or something like that, that can really play games a little bit with our brain in terms of making us become that person who is cancer, who is multiple sclerosis, whatever it is that we happen to be dealing with. And then there's the other piece, right? So you start working on your health and you start shifting that 
and you get to a place where you're like, oh, I've got some things dialed in now, but I'm in this like, I kind of imagine it as a box, like the example that I gave earlier with autoimmune, right? A lot of times people will adopt an autoimmune protocol diet or an AIP diet to be able to get themselves to feeling better. And because they feel better and they don't want to go back to feeling worse, now that becomes their identity. And that limits them from being able to complete their healing 100% and go beyond that piece. And so those are the two areas that I see this a lot. And it, it can be sneaky because you're like, I feel good, but could you feel better? That's always my question with, especially when we are talking about optimizing our wellness, right? I'm always questioning, can I tweak this a little bit more? Can I get a little bit more energy out of my day? Can I get a little bit more recovery out of my body? Like, how can I work with my body so that it can be the best that I can ever make it be? So a lot of times this identity piece is the part that comes into play and keeps us in the box. Yeah. And I do think though there's, and maybe you felt this way or maybe you didn't, but when you are on the quest for some sort of diagnosis because you know something's wrong, you know that you're not feeling the way that you should or you know that something's going on and then you do finally get that diagnosis of a lot of times I see clients come in who they are like, oh, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome or I have Hashimoto's or I have this. And it is a sense of relief in a way of like, at least there's a label now that we can go a little bit more further down and be more strategic with the treatment and the care. But I then think that people, they feel that relief of like, okay, great. I have this diagnosis. Now I know what it is. I'm not crazy. It's not all in my head. But then it's almost like we get married to that diagnosis and we don't want to let it go. And so then it's like, we stay in that bubble of like, well, I have Hashimoto. So that's why I can't lose weight. It's like, well, is that true? Like, I know plenty of people with Hashimoto's who can lose weight. Like, you know what I mean? We just kind of get in these stereotypes or these little safe bubbles of, well, I have this diagnosis. So we almost use it as a crutch, I think, sometimes to allow that to become our identity. And I think that is what holds us back, too, is we think, well, I have this, which means that. And that's not always the case. Correct. Yes. And I think this is just the way human beings are. So we're not faulting anybody for this way of thinking. This is just how, you know, our human brains work. And you said it beautifully. It's almost like I have X, therefore that means this is what my box looks like. And you and I are constantly challenging our clients to say, what would it look like if you broke those walls down of that box and could see outside of that box? And that's what we see with this work around identity. And it ties so beautifully into the conversation we had previously with Megan talking about the secondary gain, because what you're talking about right now is that once you get in that box, right, there's a little bit of comfort there. And that's the secondary gain, right? I'm cool here. This is good. Why would I want to change it? And it really does come down to what is it that you really want? Right. And if you can identify what that is that you really want and hear what your brain says, you know, if I really want to lose weight and your brain immediately is like, oh, well, you've got Hashimoto's and people with thyroid can't lose weight. That is that identity piece that we're talking about. It's like, well, hmm, is everybody that way? And we start to get to become curious about whether or not that's really true. I mean, I know that I have 
countless examples of when I've done this and stumbled into this issue of like, what is my identity now? And what is the identity of the person that I'm trying to become? And even just recently, I've been playing around with some experiments of tracking continuous glucose monitoring and tracking what kinds of foods are playing around with my uh, blood sugar just to see kind of where things are because I'm curious about that. But what was really, really interesting is before I did it, I heard myself telling myself, I'm not somebody who wants to track her food because when I do that, I go down this certain path and I don't want to feel like I'm being restricted on tracking my food. So I don't want to track my food. I'll track my blood sugar, but I don't want to track my food. Right. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting because it would be useful to track the food, to understand which foods are causing the spikes. And if I don't do that logging, then I won't be able to get that answer, right? And be able to really take a look at it. So I had to really look at that belief and challenge myself of like, could I be one of these people that can track their food and not go down this weird mental pathway and shame and like all that stuff that comes up when we track food? And so I decided that I was just not going to have any judgment about it and just apply that curiosity to it. And not do it in a restrictive way. So just whatever my food measures out as is how it measures out. And that's what I'm tracking. I'm not going to like, oh, maybe I shouldn't put that much yogurt in the bowl. Like maybe I should only do a quarter cup instead of a half. Like whatever. Dump it in the bowl. Just weigh it. Track it. (laughs) And go from there. Yeah. It's just purely data. Yeah. No need to attach emotion to it. It's just data. That's how I view it. This is just data for me. Yeah. I think it's great that you bring this up though of like, I think, I think you said it and it was very subtle, but you said, I, you know, I decided or I chose to not do that. And I think that's it. The word choice and choose is very important here is because we all have these different versions or identities within us. Like there's the version of Evie from 10 years ago that I don't want to be. And so every day I wake up and I say, which version are you going to be? Are you going to be the version of Evie that binge eats, that doesn't handle her emotions, that doesn't take care of her well-being, that lashes out at everybody, thinks everything is a threat? Or are you going to be the version of Evie that is going to be calm, respectful, takes care of herself, looks out for her community? I think that's so huge that you said that because we do have the choice. But again, it, it starts with the awareness of having the choice. But then knowing that just because I have been this way in the past doesn't mean that I need to be. But being aware that that version still does exist somewhere deep inside and can certainly come out. But you get to choose every day if you want to be that version or not. And for you with the food tracking, you chose to be the version of Terea that is not going to go down the rabbit hole of like mental shame and guilt and all of that to, with your food. And that's that makes a huge difference. Because now you can get this really cool, awesome data without any emotional attachment to it. Exactly. And you're pointing out something that's really, really key in the process. And I did want to take this conversation in this direction because this concept of breaking up with yourself, I think has been coined by Dr. Joe Dispenza or it doesn't really matter, but it's where I learned this idea of like, if you're going to become somebody new You have to make room for that new person to come into being, which means the old person that you are or were needs to not be playing in the present moment. That needs to be somebody who you've said goodbye to in a way. You're severing that relationship. And part of that process of doing that, number one, is deciding 
there's always that decision and knowing that you have that choice and deciding who am I being right now in this moment is always a great question to ask ourselves. Talk about major self-awareness when you can ask yourself (laughs) that. But the other piece of it is having some self-compassion. And I think that's something that people don't talk about a lot is that this process of breaking up with our old self might mean that there's some goodbye there, some separation there. There might be some grief there. And honoring the fact that we're human and can say goodbye to some of that stuff means that we're going to have to, or at least I think I'm going to have to like feel all the feels around it and allow myself to do that. Because if I don't, guess who's going to show up when things get tough? That older identity. Because that's our safe little box that we'd like to be in. And so I think there's a double process here, that decision-making, but also giving yourself that compassion and that love of and honor of that part of you, that version of you that you're breaking up with. There's always a way to find what the greatness was in that version of you. So that person got you to, from totally being sick to following AIP and feeling better and like found a good spot for you. Like that's awesome. And that may not be serving you anymore. So then it's like breaking up with that person. You might have to say goodbye and it's good to honor this piece of it because I think if we don't, we're just like shoving it under the rug and it, it doesn't tend to stick in a way. Definitely. And I think this applies to, I'm thinking like if someone's listening to this, it could sound a little overwhelming of like, well, how do I do that? Or I have so many things that I want to uproot or I have so many identities that I don't like about myself or, and I think maybe you just start with like one or one that seems to flow in more frequently. Maybe there's something that you notice or you think about yourself or you feel about yourself on a day-to-day basis. Start with that one. Or you start with one that seems, you know, there's less of a barrier to get to. I think the one with, especially when we have identities around our disease or our illness or whatever the diagnosis is, that one can be really hard because again, I think a lot of us do find comfort in having that diagnosis to some degree. And so that might be a little bit harder, but maybe there's something else about, there's a habit that you're like, I'm not a morning person. Maybe that's what you start with because that might be a little bit easier than breaking up with the identity you have around having you know, chronic disease. So I think starting small and reasonable can be really helpful and effective. Absolutely. And we have talked about this before in other episodes around taking a much larger concept that could feel overwhelming and breaking it down into smaller pieces of it. And when we're talking about identity work in this way, and we're actually describing and getting pretty detailed on the identity of the person that we want to become, we want to ask ourselves you know, what are the little details about that person that you can start working on? So, you know, if if you are trying to get out of the, I am stuck in AIP and my life will always be this and I'll never be able to go out to eat at friend's house or, you know, whatever, and you want to be somebody who's got more food freedom in your life, well, who is she and how does she start her morning and how does she do her grocery shopping and how does she set up social engagements with friends or how does she pick restaurants? You know, those kinds of things are really good to ask yourself so that you can identify 
what are those choices that I can make that are micro granular choices, if you will. But the more we do that, the closer we are and the next step closer we can be to that new identity. Yeah, definitely. So great point. You had, when I first met you and you were my coach, you had me do that where I, you, you asked me like, well, what version of Evie do you want to be? What does she look like? What does that healthier version of Evie look like? What does she do? What's her behavior? How does she dress? What does she eat? Right? How does she talk? And I remember writing in my journal, like, Evie dresses this way or Evie eats this or Evie gets up and does this. And the more I talked about myself in that present tense, the easier it was for me to actually execute. And so it wasn't a fake it till you make it. It wasn't that. It was just knowing that this version of me is possible and she just hadn't come out yet. So the more I talked about her in that way of, hey, she's already here. Or this is what you do. It was a lot easier to start showing up as her. And then it just becomes second nature. Yeah. Yeah, it's so beautiful when I hear examples like this. And one of the assignments that I give my clients in the very beginning is just what you described, which is, who are you going to be at the end of this experience of our time together? And can you get really, really detailed on who that is going to be so that we can track not track in in a way of like measurement, but like make sure that we are doing those things and including those things in our time together so that you can get closer and closer to the identity side of it. And it's a process that I learned through my studies of mindset and beliefs and all of this work, which in the beginning I was just like, eh, what is all this? Like, does it, re- can't I just su- take a supplement? <laughs> You know, isn't there just a lab or a supplement that I can do to, and while that stuff is great, you can accelerate the process by also including how we think about ourselves and how we talk about ourselves and the choices that we make. And so that's why it's become such an essential piece of my practice and your practice to work with clients of making sure that not only are we doing, executing the right strategic pieces of it getting our movement in, getting our hydration in, taking the supplements when we're on a protocol. And those are all very strategic things that need to be accomplished, but they need to be supported with the language and the mindset to be able to have it be like a permanent transformation, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. That's really what's going to carry you on because I think we'd agree that an effective coach is someone who doesn't want to be in your life long-term, right? We want you to be able to carry this on your own. And so you have to learn these foundational things and get this mindset work in check because this is what's going to carry you on when the next hurdle comes. Because the next hurdle is going to come, right? It's not like you reach this level of health and you coast on by the rest of your life. There's going to be something else that comes up. So do you have those skills? And that's why we both really focus in on that in our coaching with the mindset and really overcoming this identity crisis that some people go through or having a hard time letting go of their old identity because you're going to encounter this again and we want you to have the tools to be able to do that when we're not here. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important because if we don't have those tools in place, I mean, the mindset habits are just as important as brushing your teeth habits and doing your hydration habits, like all of it is important because it is my life's passion to give women the lifelong skills to optimize their health beyond working in any kind of program. As much as I love love the clients that I work with and I love seeing their faces and all of that stuff, but there comes a point where 
the little bird's got to get out of the nest. And we want to make sure that our clients are doing that as opposed to just running a protocol after protocol after protocol after protocol. I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole, but yeah, absolutely. It's one of the reasons why, uh, like right there in the video, I'm pointing at a journal. So for those of you that are on audio, I'm pointing at something in the video version of this. And I designed a journal specifically for my clients to use as part of this process. And a lot of this, what we're talking about today, this letting go of your identity, right? And being able to let go of certain things so that you can make that space for the new version of you, all of that's built in. And so we're constantly building these kinds of tools to be able to teach people how to do this. Because man, you hear somebody say, oh, just break up with your old identity. Like, what? Oh, okay, great. Thanks. Thanks for that advice. That was really helpful. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> how does, how do you do that? Right, right, exactly. Right. And sometimes it is journaling. Sometimes it's just taking a walk with yourself and having that like super honest conversation that we've talked about a couple of times. And for me, I think it's just really that question comes up a lot. Who am I being in this moment? And that really helps kind of keep keep me on track, right? It's like it's like the GPS navigation it keeps me right back on track. Definitely. Yeah. I love it. Anything else on this topic, Evie, that we want to get in the recording? I would just encourage that everyone who's listening and or watching to, you know, be gentle with yourself as you approach this and ask these questions, right? Terea is really instilled in me like this curiosity, right? Have this curiosity of how this applies to you. And again, maybe you take it one identity at a time because we all have these multiple identities we assign to ourselves. But again, I think getting curious on how you can do this for yourself is really important, especially if you have been diagnosed with a chronic illness that you find yourself reverting back to as like an excuse and dare I say a crutch, because there's a lot of possibilities outside of that diagnosis that most people don't hear when they're first being diagnosed. So make sure you're not being married to that. And you're actually like really thinking like, okay, I know that these are things that could happen with having X, but does this have to be me? Um, and really exploring that and challenging yourself to not fall into that box and get too comfortable. You know, it's interesting that just popped into my brain, this thought, which I think we should talk about, which is when you receive a diagnosis, it's very fascinating to me to observe the Western medical model, which is you receive diagnosis and most people are of the mindset that that is a permanent transition. There's no reversing that. And so they'll talk about the disease as if it's this like thing, because it is a thing, but it doesn't have to be a thing forever. And so it's almost like the doctor will deliver the diagnosis. And the next thing they talk about is not about how to reverse the process or try and put some stuff into remission. They talk about how are we going to manage this moving forward so that it doesn't get worse or so that you don't die early. I mean, that's really their area of expertise, but they're not really talking about it from an identity standpoint, they're just kind of like, okay, so now you have this. So now your life is going to be like this, right? And so oftentimes they're like delivering that identity to you on a silver platter for you to pick up and take, take on moving forward. And the question really is, is that something that you want to do? Or 
is there a way to look at it differently? Or can you get a second opinion, right? And so it's just fascinating to observe that there's a little bit different psychology going on in the Western medicine world than there is in the more natural medicine side of things where we're looking at, okay, so how did we get here? Let's see if we can identify the root. Let's see if we can take care of that and reverse some of this stuff or put some of this stuff into remission. And that's a whole different way of looking at it from a psychology standpoint. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I, I've had multiple clients come in where they're like, oh, I have PCOS. And, you know, I have multiple questions after that. But it's like, well, were you told that this is like a state? This is a syndrome. You don't actually have to always have PCOS. And they're like, no, they just told me that I would have a hard time having kids and that this is just how it's going to be. And I'm like, okay, well, let's start with some education about what this is and, you know, let you know that this is not something that has to be a lifelong thing. And so, and that's always a really big relief for people too, because I think that it's very daunting to be diagnosed with something and feel like, well, this is just how the rest of my life is going to go. Same thing with autoimmunity, right? You can absolutely be in remission. It's not like you can get rid of Hashimoto's, but you can be in remission where you don't have the symptoms, you don't have the flare-ups. And I was never taught that 10 years of a diagnosis. And I didn't find out until 10 years later that I didn't have to feel like I had Hashimoto's. And there were times in that 10 years where I was like, I mean, I'm feeling better, like I'm feeling fine. But I didn't realize that that was like, oh, this is what remission is and that this is something that's possible. So that's really huge too, is understanding that you're not going to always have the worst of that disease or the diagnosis all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to me that, I mean, we've talked about this behind the scenes, but the number of um, physicians who will say, okay, you've got Hashimoto's, for example, just to pick on thyroid stuff, since we both share that you've got Hashimoto's and we don't need to run additional labs. We don't need to do all this stuff because the treatment is the same. It's, it literally is the belief that that disease is always going to be there and there's no other option. We've been able to prove it wrong in our own cases, but also in so many women have been able to have Hashimoto's or Graves' disease, a different disease of the thyroid, autoimmune disease of the thyroid, and put it into remission. And sure, is that labeled there in the medical records of Hashimoto's disease? Sure, absolutely. But are the antibodies reduced? Are the symptoms gone? Like that's really the cool thing about it is that you can choose this identity, right? So anyway, we're probably taking this a little bit further than today's topic, but you get the idea of like paying attention to the words and the language of not only yourself, but also the people around you, your practitioners and your doctors and that kind of thing. Like it's all kind of tied into this identity piece and, you know, just questioning who do you want to be? Pay attention to that because your heart knows who you want to be inside. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be locked into your current circumstances, right? It's important to always remember that our current circumstances don't necessarily have to define who we are becoming or who we will become. So absolutely. We'll leave it there. All right. Thank you, Evie, for talking with me about this topic today. It's, as you know, mindset stuff is one of my favorite things to talk about. Yeah, definitely. I think this will be very helpful and we'd love to hear feedback from you of, you know, any questions you have or if you've been doing this work or if you've noticed anything about yourself, please let us know and uh, reach out to us with any additional feedback or questions. 
Great. And all that stuff will be in the show notes. So you can find out how to do that there. And we'll see you guys next time. Hey, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Wildly Optimized Wellness Podcast. If you are ready to dig deeper into your health, stop playing the wackest symptom game, start testing to get better guidance, you can find more about Terea at tereyarodriguez.com and you can find Evie at holisticallyrestored.com. Want to peek into what it's like to work with us? Come join us at our optimized wellness community. You can find the invitation link in the show notes below. And if you have a question for the show, you can submit your question under the podcast section of tereyarodriguez.com. Finally, if you found something helpful in this episode, don't forget to leave a review, hit that follow button, or share it with a friend. They're going to love that you thought of them. Until next time, see you outside.